right, good morning. So good to see you here. Hope you enjoyed Mike Cochran and Render the Hearts. They got a great sound, don't they? They did a great job, yeah. And uh, let me reiterate what uh, Joel and Philip have said. If you volunteered for VBS, thank you. It was a great week, a great time at all of our campuses. I think probably between the three of the four, uh, fourth one has yet to do uh, something. Uh, I think we're pushing 300 volunteers, not to mention the 300 kids or so that we had. So that's awesome. Uh, I remember a day several years ago when we almost stopped doing VBS. We, we almost decided to quit doing it. We weren't getting the, the kids. It was manufactured energy on our part. Just, I don't know, it was the combination of what was going on and, and things that uh, people that we had, but we almost stopped, and I'm so glad we didn't, aren't you? It's a great, uh, it's a great outreach for kids, and I see a lot of the volunteers out there. Well, today is the last uh, Sunday for this uh, series, Soul Care. Soul Care is important because a lot of people have troubled souls. A lot of folks are, are hurting. There's a lot of things going on in our world that infringe upon that part of us that is, is uh, so fragile. It's so fragile. So many people have anxiety and grief. There's so much of that going on in our world. And just for the sake of this uh, series, uh, really as we wrap it up, let me just remind you what the soul is. The soul is that immaterial part of you that makes you who you are. Now, unlike uh, an animal, for instance, an animal has life. We could say maybe spirit, lowercase spirit. An animal doesn't have a soul. Only you have a soul. You have the ability to reason. You have the ability to think and plan for the future. You have, unlike animals who remember things instinctively, you can remember the past and look forward to the future. The soul is that part of you that will last forever. Bible says when God made Adam, he breathed into his body the breath through his nostrils, and Adam became a living being or a living soul. So the soul is a part of you that when your body dies, when your body lays down its last time, your soul will depart your body and it will go to be with the Lord. You're a believer. And uh, so you will be with the Lord forever. And then one day when the Lord returns, you'll get a new body. I think that's when that happens, according to 1 Corinthians 15. So you get a new body. It may look a lot like your old body, but it's going to be new and it's going to be fabulous. Amen? You're going to feel like you're, where's Philip? How old is Philip? 30, 33. You're going to feel like you're 33. Uh, all over again. Don't that be wonderful? Can I get an amen on that? Uh, so um, that's your soul. So we need to take care of it. We need to, when it's troubled, we need to, we need to tend to it. We need to nurture it. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your what? For your souls. We need to go to Jesus for our souls. So far, again, we've talked about anxiety and grief. Last week, we looked at the story of David, kind of that part of his story that he would like for us to forget, but the Bible doesn't allow that. The Bible puts that in there, doesn't gloss over it, and and says this is the story of David, all of it. And it's that part of his life, if you remember, where he was getting a little bit older and he did some things he shouldn't have done. He was in a place where he shouldn't have been. He should have been out with his men, but he wasn't. He was back and he saw a very beautiful woman. He lusted after her. He brought her in and they, uh, they had sexual relations and they, she got pregnant and then to cover up his sin, he began, to, he began to concoct plans and try to hide his sin. You remember he ended up having to have Uriah, her husband, killed. And then he thought he was in the clear. And again, if you were here last week, and if you weren't, just a little recap. Uh, a man by the name of Nathan came into his life. Nathan the prophet, he knew Nathan. He was the preacher. He let him in, and Nathan told him the story. The story ends up being about David. Nathan said, David, you are that man. You are the rich man who took what the only thing the poor man treasured. You took it. And God had given you everything, and you took it. And instead of David passing the buck and trying to justify his behavior by blaming the stress of his job or the way she was dressed or not dressed or anything else, David quickly came clean before God. And this is why David was a man after God's own heart. Even after this, the Bible says that David said, I have sinned against God. I'm guilty. He had said in Psalm 32, when I was trying to hide this, my bones wasted away. And so you might remember uh, as we go forward, David and Bathsheba did have a child, but that child died. From David's sin, there was the rippling effect of of sin, the consequences of sin just coming out, and, and it could never be stopped. It could never be stopped. And that's the way your sin and my sin is. We think, you know, it's just us, but it's really a a rippling effect of that sin that ends up affecting a lot of people in our life. And you can't stop it once it's out of the bag. Once the water, uh, the rock hits the water, they, they keep going until they reach the end. And so trouble would always follow David. That's what God said. The sword will never leave your family that's exactly what happened. That's when the kingdom began to divide and there were lots of issues, lots of problems. But this child also died. They don't read anything into this that God said, I'm going to kill the child because of your sin. But I think maybe God was looking ahead and saying this child is going to die. And we can, you know, we can discuss that later, but David... Uh, David was very, um, he, he grieved, he mourned while that child was sick. And so uh, after the child died, David did something. And it's what we're going to talk about today. It's we're going to talk about worship. We're talking about worship. That's what David did. Someone said the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's worship. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
So the Bible says, after the child died, David arose from the earth, and he washed, and he anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. And probably the first time in a long time, his soul was finally at peace. He had been trying to hide this for so long, and now in worship, in confession, in worship, his soul was able to come clean and be healthy again, if you will. And some people believe that Psalm 103 was written after all this happened, that David was reflecting on his life and he, he, he understood the gravity of his sin, he understood what he had done and the consequences he and his children and their children would have to bear because of what he had done. And, and so he wrote Psalm 103, and that's what we're going to look at today, Psalm 103, as we work our way through it. And I want you to read this first verse aloud with me, okay? Just read the first verse, and I'll take care of the rest of them as we go along. But read the first verse aloud with me. You ready? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And when it comes to soul care... The spiritual practice of worship will bring you inner peace. I just think it brings you peace. True worship comes from the soul. True worship releases anxiety in your life. True worship is what you need. I would even say that your soul will never find rest until it, until it learns to worship. What is worship? Well, we shouldn't have to define it. Worship is more than singing. It's more than music, but oftentimes we... We kind of think of music and, and, uh, and singing when we worship. But worship is everything we do. It's a, an attitude of giving value to God, right? It's giving him the worth that he is, he is due. We all worship something. We're all going to worship today, tomorrow. We're going to give value to it. Maybe it's your job, your car. Maybe it's somebody in your life. We're going we're gonna to give them value. And that's really what worship is. At the top of all that, even if you can, you can value and think something is of value in your life, but God needs to be at the top of that. He needs to be at the top of that value chain. He, he is the most valuable thing in your life. Amen? And your relationship with him is what matters because your soul is going to live forever. Your soul will live forever. So that's what it means to bless the Lord. And I want to talk real quickly here. What, why is worship good for the soul? Why is worship good for the soul? Well, first of all, because it, it helps us get specific. Specificity. Say that word with me. Can you say it? Can't say it? That was a good try, Tim. But that means you're starting to make a list. You're starting to get really specific about why you're thankful to God and who he is. It's very personal. David gets specific. Let's look at this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The eagles, not the eagles, the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Now what David is doing is he's remembering all of the benefits 
of being a child of God. Oftentimes when we have trouble in our life, when we have things going on that trouble our soul, we forget those things and we just focus on the storm. We just focus on the rising waves. We only focus on the trouble. David said this is a good opportunity. Don't forget in all of the things that are going on in your life, don't forget the good things that God has done in your life. We sometimes have a bad memory, which makes me think of the two guys who were uh, sitting at the mall and they were talking to one another and one of them looked at the other one and he said, didn't you go to a memory conference a few years ago? He said, no, it was, no, it was just two weeks ago. The guy said, yeah, yeah, I went to that memory conference. He said, well, was it good? He said, yeah, it was good. Oh, it was really good. They taught you how to uh, identify things and and, you know, put things together to help your memory and all this stuff. He said, wow, that's good. He said, what was the name of that conference? And the guy had this blank look on his face for a second or two, and he said, what's the name of that flower, red and pink, that grows on a thorny stem? His friend said, a rose? He said, yeah, yeah. He picked up his phone and he called, he said, called his wife and said, Hey, Rose, what was the name of that conference I went to a few weeks ago? And we forget sometimes, don't we? And maybe we do need to be reminded. David says, first of all, there's forgiveness of sins. God forgives our sins. I mean, if you don't get anything else out of God, if God turns the faucet of blessing off in your life, but you have forgiveness of sins, that's enough, amen? That secures your spot in eternity. If you're forgiven and you remain in that state of forgiveness, healing, some say he's talking about physical healing here, some say sickness of the soul, regardless, God is the one, the source of healing. Spiritual extraction, what I call spiritual extraction. Anybody ever been in the gutter and been in the pit? David said, I was at the bottom. I was, I was ready to, to just throw, all, throw it all away, to, to, to throw in the towel. And God pulled me out of the pit. A crown of love and mercy, the goodness of God. We sang about the goodness of God this morning, one of my favorite worship songs. How about you? righteousness and justice for the oppressed. This is just a short list that David mentions. Years ago, we used to sing a song in the church, and maybe some of you remember it. It was called um, Count Your Many, anybody remember? Blessings. And then what was the next line? Name them one by one. That song is good theology. It's good theology because it tells us, hey, don't forget what God has done for you. Make a list of those things that God has done for you. And when uh, something happens in your life, when you don't get what you want, uh, when life's turning out the way you, you, you don't want it to turn out, just remember those blessings. David mentions Moses here. And Moses, just think of the list Moses would have had. God made his ways known to Moses. Worship is good for the soul because it helps us be specific Secondly, it helps us to relax in the covering of God's love. Do you find worship to be relaxing? Is it, does it calm you? 
In the Bible, uh, when King Saul had displeased the Lord, the Lord allowed an evil spirit to torment him. And Saul needed some relief, and so he was, his, his servants knew that he needed relief. And one of the servants said, there's a young man in your kingdom. And this is a great passage. I meant to get it and read it for you. There's a young man in your kingdom who, uh, he does it all. He's a warrior, and he's a songwriter. He's also a musician. And it listed two or three other things in this passage in 2 Kings. Uh, I'm sorry, not in 2 Kings, but uh, in, in uh, 1 Samuel 16. And, and this, this guy's name is David. And, you know, David had already been anointed as the king, but Saul didn't know that. Nobody else knew that but God and, and Samuel. So he said, bring David to me. And David came in. You know what David did? David just played his harp. He just played for him. And this atmosphere of worship as David played his songs, and no doubt David had already been working on some psalms and songs and spiritual songs, and it calmed Saul's spirit. When the kings of Israel and Judah, Joram and Jehoshaphat, wanted a word from God, they called Elisha in. They said, we need a word from the Lord. Things are getting bad out there. Elisha said, I'll give you a word from the Lord. And this is in 2 Kings chapter 3. He said, I'll give you a word from the Lord, but first I need to worship. And he, he had the musicians come in and they played. And it got him in that frame of mind where he could hear from the Lord and give the word. Now, this doesn't happen with all the prophets, but it happened in this time. But what's important here is that in order to hear from God, in order to calm his spirit, in order to speak what God wanted him to speak, he worshiped. He worshiped. I don't know if you've sung the song. I'm sure most of you had. If you've been in the church, we used to sing it, and I love this song in, uh, in an a cappella fashion. And maybe you've been in a church where they've done it. I think we've done it a cappella before. But it is one of the greatest songs to do without instruments. It is called, It Is Well With My Soul. Have you heard it? Have you heard it? Isn't that a great song? When you get that four-part harmony and you get that echo, and it's, a, it's just a wonderful song. Do you know how that song was written? A guy by the name of Horatio Spafford had sailed ahead uh, of his family uh, to England, and he was there, and then they were coming to him, and when they got to a certain point in the Atlantic, there was a, a big storm, and all three of his daughters were lost at sea. His wife gets there, and they are on their way back, and they say, this is, a, this is the exact spot where your, where your daughters were lost. And it was at that very moment that Spafford began to write this song. When peace like a, a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So out of that tragedy comes a song, an enduring song of worship. And maybe you've been through some tragedy and you need this to calm you. Yesterday I spent some time with a family, a man and his wife who used to come to our church before they became too ill to attend, Larry and Rosalie Smith. And 
Larry was in hospice, so I went to visit them and the whole family, and there was so much anxiety and grief ahead of time in his last hours. He ended up passing last night. And maybe you've been in that situation where it's just, it is a bad, a bad scene. It is hard, and your soul is aching and hurting, and you need something like this to say it is well with my soul. Worship can do that. Worship can open your heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about whether you like the songs or if the volume suits you. You know, here we do use a decibel meter to keep it safe. I'm not talking about whether you like to sing with the accompaniment of instruments or without the accompaniment of instruments. Those things kind of matter to our personal preferences. What I'm talking about is not a type of music. It's not a certain style of music that we could market and then we could become a spectator or a consumer and say, oh, that was good or that wasn't good or she was good or he wasn't good. That's not worship. That's us consuming. That's us coming in and judging. What we ought to ask ourselves when there's something we don't like about the worship service, we should say, God, do you like what you see in me? Do you, do you like what you're seeing in me right now? This critical spirit, this tendency that I have to judge somebody else who uses their talents to get on the stage and lead us in worship. If, if, if that was worship, if worship was a style or a, or a certain... Um, uh, kind of worship, then it wouldn't be for, for God. It would be for us. Worship is not for us. Worship is for God. So we, we, you know, we sometimes do this, and God says, hey, I'm up here. I'm up here. Just relax. Just find a place to relax. I can worship in any setting. I, I hope you can develop that as well. You know, I've raised backyard chickens for a, uh, a long time, but have never allowed any eggs to hatch. Is anybody else a backyard chicken farmer? Yeah, isn't that great? Well, while we were gone, uh, we, uh, we had some chickens hatched. Their godparents are right over there. My daughter became the adopted mother. And uh, it's so cool to watch these, the behavior of these little baby chicks. They get away from their mother, and they chirp, 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 and then mom has a way to call them back, a little cluck. They come back, and at nighttime, you go in there, and where are those chicks? Do you know? They're underneath the mama. Mama's kind of sitting up like this, and those chicks will stick their heads out. That's worship, in a sense. There's no more chirping, no more fear, no more anxiety. They're safe in the covering of their mother. We used to sing a song called Under His Wings. Anybody remember that one? Under His Wings. And that's the idea of that. So worship allows us to relax under the covering of God's love. Because David says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad? 
nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are fragile. We are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over and is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Worship should be relaxing to you. You should be in a place where you can, you can say, ah, I just, God, I just want to give you the worth that you deserve. Thirdly, because through it, we join in the great song of creation. You may remember our study in Revelation uh, a year or two ago. And chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Revelation are worship scenes. It's really one big worship scene. And the indication in my mind is that this worship scene in heaven is going on right now. It has been going on, it is going on, and it will be going on. You and I will have the opportunity to join in. There's four living creatures there, which represent, I believe, all living creatures, animals, fish, even human. Four living creatures, I think that's what it represents. There's 24 elders that represent God's people, past, present, and future. 24, you know, is a number of completeness, 12 Old Testament, 12 New Testament. And the symbolism is here is that everybody is worshiping, everybody who's there. Is worshiping. And in chapter 4, here's the song. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then in chapter 5, another figure comes onto the scene. Do you remember who this other figure is? Who is it? In chapter 4, it's worshiping the Father. In chapter 5, who comes on the scene? A bloodied lamb comes on the scene. Of course, this is the lamb of God. This is Jesus standing, looking as if he had been slain. He was bloodied. That's why I think in eternity, Jesus will bear the marks of the crucifixion on his, on his body. Because remember, after the crucifixion, he showed his body to Thomas. And he said, look, you can see I've still got the wounds. My hands and my side. That's Jesus' resurrected body, still bearing the marks of the crucifixion as an eternal reminder to you and to me when we see him of the price he paid for our entrance into heaven, for our fellowship with the Father. And so when he gets in there, if you thought the worship scene in chapter 4 was big, but in chapter 5, the, the volume goes up and it's worthy as the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I read this quote in a book that our worship team studied a couple years ago, How to Worship a King. 
The quote says, when we pray, we are preoccupied with our needs. When we praise and give thanks, we are preoccupied with our blessings. But when we worship, we are preoccupied only with God. And there's going to come a day, the Bible tells us, when that will be the only preoccupation you have. You might be thinking about your job. You might be thinking about your trip coming up. You might be thinking about your, uh, your game or, or whatever it is that you put your mind to and your energies to and, and yourself to. But there's going to come a day when all that's going to be behind you and your only preoccupation is going to be with worship of God. I don't know if you believe that, but that's what the Bible teaches the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 that a day is coming that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I'm not saying we won't do other things in heaven. His ways are unknown. He has stuff that we can't even imagine. But I'm saying at the heart of all of it, at the top of all of it, at the bottom of all of it, all around it is going to be our worship of God and his son, Jesus Christ. We should start now, huh? David, maybe he's being a little prophetic here when he addresses, or maybe he's got a glimpse into heaven when he finishes out this psalm by saying the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. In other words, everybody, everybody worship the Lord. And then like a bookend on the song, he ends the way he started. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. You know, in heaven, it's going to be, <clears throat> there's going to be inner peace. It's going to be peace. One guy went to a zoo, and they had a lion and a sheep in there. And he asked the, the guy attending that part of the zoo, he said, what in the world? I've never seen a lion and a sheep. Do they ever fight? He says, rarely, rarely. He says, what happens when they do? He said, we get a new sheep. Not going to be any of that in heaven. The lion and the lamb will lie down together. This is the kind of peace we want right now, isn't it? We want peace, but our world doesn't offer it. In fact, it looks like our world is running away from peace cause of sin and corruption and selfishness our world is running away from peace which way are you running the only place to run to have peace is to God through his son Jesus Christ who offers peace try worship I'm not against medicine sometimes medicine is necessary Sometimes you may need medicine for some, some uh, imbalance or some situation, but I would encourage you, try worship first. And keep trying worship, even if you take medicine for your mental 
health or your anxiety. Don't lean so heavily on that. You think, well, I don't need God anymore. No, try worship first. Try calming yourself with worship. Try confession and see if God doesn't give you healing. You may need some extra help. God gave us medicine. I'm not against that. Some preachers are against that. Some people are ashamed of that. But no, sometimes you need that. But don't forget worship because it is, it is the cure to put God at the rightful place in your life. It'll help with a lot of things in your life, your anxiety, your grief, your trouble. As we finish out this series, if you want inner peace, if you want to take care of your soul, put God where he deserves to be. Almighty God, thank you for the reminder that you're on your throne. And I pray that we would make sure you're on the throne of our heart, that you're on the throne of our soul. Because, Lord, we want to start the service. We want to start the worship now. We want to start it early. And we want to worship you through eternity with our loved ones and our family. That's my prayer, God. So we offer it to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand up with me. If you're here today and you're not a believer, then we're going to urge you to trust Christ, to believe in him. And then we're going to urge you to follow that up in baptism with, with obedience to you can begin to live your life for him. If you're here today and you don't have a church home or if you need prayer for something, I'd love to pray for you. Philip may make it down, but I'll be right over here to your left and I'd love to pray for you during this uh, time of music.